Well, good morning again. And uh, we want to look forward into the word here this morning. How many of you were here last week? How many of you were here and forgot that you were here? And Okay. It was a great morning last week. We had a, a wonderful time together, a great time of celebration. I just wanted to mention our deaconesses and those who supported them did a bang-up job. It was amazing last week. And... Uh, very, very encouraging, and the response of our congregation to the celebration of reinstating elders and uh, looking forward to good things into the future was all so, so encouraging. This morning, as we were worshiping, I was pondering the words of some of the songs that we were singing, and it was amazing how in the providence of God, many times the words connect exactly with what uh, we want to speak about. And uh, some very, very cool things uh, about the cross and what God has done for us and that he's mighty to save and that he's a transforming God and all of that. So that's what we want to talk about today a little bit. And as we begin, I would like to start with prayer. Would you object to that? I didn't think you would. Kind of uh, had a lull in our worship as we've continued talking about the events and things that we're going to do. And... uh, Time to bring it back, refocus. Let's ask God to help us. We've already acknowledged that you're a great God, Lord. Uh, Not that we can ever say it enough. But we're thankful, God, that you are the living God, that you are the God of redemption. You're a God who saves. He is mighty to save. And when you save, you save us, as Hebrews says, to the uttermost. Lord, uh, it's that uttermost part that we, uh, we stumble over a lot because we want to know what it means to be on our way to glory and to have confidence when we face this great enemy that all of us will face called death. But there's this thing of being saved down to our shoe leather in the here and now. And uh, saved to the uttermost, in the fullest sense. As Jesus talks about, uh, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly. And Lord, so many times uh, we, we are cheating ourselves from some of the joy of what it means to be your disciple and your follower. Experiencing that transforming work, that life of liberty that you have promised to your sons and daughters. I ask now in the name of Jesus that you would help us to focus on your word. I'm also asking, Lord, that our adversary, who is constantly on the move, anytime there's something percolating in the hearts and minds of your saints, the enemy wants to come and snatch that or throw water on it or whatever it might happen to be. And Lord, we're asking for the help of your Holy Spirit this morning. I'm asking for the help. I'm asking for the covering of the authority that's in the great name of Jesus, the victory that he's gotten for us by his death, burial, and resurrection. That, Lord, you would bind the opposer, the enemy, the accuser of the brethren. I think of how many ways he comes against us. 
We hear the theme song over and over again. You're no good. You're no good. Baby, you're no good. And we know, God, this is the work of the enemy. He accuses the righteous before God day and night as much as he can possibly do and loves to filter that down into our minds. And then we just say, well, it's pretty hopeless here. And Lord, we also have been speaking at times about the way unbelief saturates our thinking, that you cease to be real for us. And so in all of those ways, we're asking that you would stretch your hand out and push him backwards. There are disciples here. There are uh, members of what I call the little flock, what Jesus called his little flock, that are leaning in and they're hungry to learn and they want to see more and more of the life of Christ released into them. And we're asking that you would command that on their behalf in the name of Jesus. So, Father, today we, we commit ourselves to you. We, we look to you for help. For those who may be sitting and listening, uh, wondering what is this, um, this whole thing really about? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? That you would grant some insight and that your spirit would woo them. And that they would become a true worshiper as we were praying earlier in our worship team uh, meeting before the service. Such the Father seeks true worshipers. A day is coming when men and women will worship you in spirit and in truth. And we're asking for you to call them out. Call them into the wonderful family of God as true worshipers, true followers of the living Christ. Lord, I don't know how else to do this except to ask for your help today. To quicken your giftings, to quicken your saints, to quicken and bring conviction to those who need to enter into life eternal. Because that's what your kingdom purpose is all about. We pray, Father, for those ministries that we were talking about today. We've already mentioned the the shoe boxes. And uh, what an amazing thing. All of these years. And... uh, Our sister was not the only person getting choked up watching that. We think of grief share, the impact that that could have, Lord, in people's lives as they choose to draw near to you so that you will draw near to them. Lord, people getting control of uh, their finances and being able to honor you with their giving in new ways Lord, everything that we're putting our hand to, and I can't remember everything, but Lord, we're asking that it might be infused with life from the Spirit, not just an activity and a program, but we want your Spirit to have some freedom to mess around with us (laughs) because we need to be messed around with. So thank you for that, and I thank you for the encouragement I have received in the Weeks that have just gone by and seeing your body snap into gear and make really cool things happen. And people even speaking into my life, talking about how the Holy Spirit has been working them over and something's brewing and something's changing. All of this we give you thanks and praise for. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen Amen and amen. Well, today we're talking in, uh, let's see. Yeah, my sermon's only an hour and a half, so we'll see how this works out. I'll behave. The NCL, that's not a sports organization. 
That's my abbreviation for something that I have used as an expression for a long, long time, but I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. We launched into the book of Titus on purpose because we wanted to look at some of the standards and some of the principles involved on spiritual leadership in order to prep the congregation for a reboot of our leadership because we'd been through some rough waters and lost some of that, right? So we've started over. I'm so encouraged by uh, the response of the congregation as well as our leaders who have been um, really tender-hearted and, and uh, open. And uh, I just, I've just been praising God for that. It's all been very good. And we started with Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. I won't make you stand up uh, again this week, but let, let me ask you to just follow along, either listening as I read it, or you can take the black Bible out of the seat in front of you and turn to 1193 if you're totally new at this and can't find your way around the New Testament too well yet. That's okay. That's why we have page numbers. 1193 is where Titus is. I just want to read the passage one more time. Chapter 1, verse 5 and on. For this reason, I left you in Crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. You remember that, right? For this reason, I set you in Crete that you would straighten things out. That was two weeks ago, remember? Straighten things out because things aren't straight. And we use that uh, kind of fun joke about where are the parents, right? Because if you don't have parents in a family, chaos ensues. And so spiritual leaders are the parents in the family, if you will. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. Scandalous problems are, are, are an issue. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. The word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks be to God is right. We're going to look at one of these verses in particular. I'm going to lift it up. But once in a while, um, we think about what is required of leadership. This is what encouraged me to park on Titus with the encouragement of my staff. Classic text. Years ago, I I had the privilege of hearing this man in person, J. Oswald Sanders. Anybody ever heard of him? Spiritual leadership, written back in 1967, makes these statements. God and man are constantly searching for leaders. In the various branches of Christian enterprise, in the scriptures, God is frequently represented as searching for a man or woman of a certain type. He's looking. Scripture and history of Israel reveal that God discovers a person like that to get his business accomplished. The supernatural nature of the church demands a leadership that rises above the human. That's scary. And yet, has there ever been a greater dearth of God-anointed and God-mastered men to meet that crucial need? He was writing in 1967. And there always is. The church is painfully in need of leaders, lamented William Sangster. I wait to hear a voice and no voice comes, he said. 
Sanders goes on to say the overriding need of the church, if it is to discharge its obligation to the rising generation, is for a leadership that is authoritative, spiritual, and sacrificial. I want to read that one again. The overriding need of the church, if it is to discharge its obligation to the rising generation, is for a leadership that is authoritative, spiritual, and sacrificial. The church has always prospered most when it has been blessed with strong spiritual leaders who experienced, expected, and experienced the touch of the supernatural in their service. That's why I've been harping on the fact that we need God. <laughs> That's a profound idea, isn't it? And yet, several weeks back, I asked people to say, are you willing, are you willing to commit to pray for a visitation of the Holy Spirit in this place? Because that's what we need. That's, I shouldn't say that. I should say, that's who we need. It's who we need. Well, with those little thoughts in mind, and it quite challenging, books like that are edifying, what came to my mind is... When I encounter people and other spiritual leaders say to me, this person's the real deal. You know what I mean by that? They're the real deal or they get it. They're in. What they're usually talking about is the NCL, the normal Christian life. Wasn't that sneaky? And I have to give apologies to somebody who wrote a book by that name. How many of you know about it, right? Watchman Nee wrote a book called The Normal Christian Life, where I'm in. I'm really in. It's not about being a club. Where churches get in trouble is that we're busy about keeping the machine alive or the club alive, and we lose sight of why we're here. Jesus was very clear. Go into all the world and make... Oh, see, you knew the answer. Disciples are the real deal. They're the ones that mean business. They're sold out or they're... Pretty darn close to being sorted out. So am I in trouble for that? I don't care. <laughs> to Jesus Christ. They're interested in going about his business. Where do leaders come from? Read the New Testament. Search out from among you men full of faith, full of the spirit, etc. Search out from where do they come from? The church. Somehow, we get men and women in the shoot, in the process of developing their leadership. I quoted last week John MacArthur, which I don't do very often, but I did quote him because he mentioned when he was speaking at our seminary in chapel, and he took everybody by surprise, if your men in your church are not aspiring to elders, to be elders, there is either something wrong with them or there's something wrong with you. Because the need for leadership is constant. Doesn't matter whether you're the president or whether you're the bishop or whether you're an elder. The need for leadership is at every strata. That's why a few weeks ago I encouraged us, you know, I've, I've got more free time now because I'm retired. I'm not talking about me, by the way. Junior church, kingdom kids, they need leaders. They need people. To help move them along. Whatever strata, every ministry needs leadership to make it vital, to make it disciple-oriented so that we're growing in this stuff. 
So when we look at these uh, standards for leadership, I'm trying to make a point here. We look at that, we read that and say, well, I have no interest in being an elder, so I'm off the hook. All these qualities, doesn't matter if I really get them into my life. That's totally wrong, unbelieving thinking. Because that is a description of the disciple. And that's the crop from which you're going to gather leadership from. Those who choose to be the real deal. To live the normal Christian life. Now, if you have your Bible open still... You can notice where it says the, the, the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, quick-tempered, addicted to wine, pugnacious, fond of sordid game, dishonest, looking for a fight, pugnacious. I'm going to tell you a story about that in a few minutes. That's a negative verse, isn't it? That's all the things that say, don't be like that. Kind of should be obvious, you would think. You shouldn't even have to list that, but you know what happens when you make assumptions. So Paul doesn't leave it out. He says that's got to be out. But let's park on the positive one. Verse 8, hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled. Hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, and self-controlled. The next verse says, loyal to the word of God. That's for elders. But this is talking about behaviors and virtues. Now, there's a discussion. Virtues. We don't talk about virtues anymore, do we? Right? Virtues. Uh, We used to talk about seven deadly sins. And we used to talk about, no, it was the guy in uh, Camelot that said the seven deadly virtues, right? He didn't want to. (laughs) Remember that? (laughs) Virtues, good qualities, and that's what's being described here. Hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, and self-control. Scandalous stuff should be obvious that that's wrong for the normal Christian, that he's weaning that kind of bad behavior out of his life. Does anybody remember? I don't want to say which missionary it was. One of our missionaries was here. He's involved in leadership training overseas, and he said, you know, what do you do for developing their understanding of the word and all of that? And he said, look, I'm just trying to keep them from sleeping with their girlfriends. That's what we're up against in our culture. And this verse, that thing about sensible, devout, and self-controlled, speaks into that issue. So that's what I want to unpack just a little bit. The word sensible and the word self-control at the end. Sensible and self-control. Very quickly, let me show you how many places it comes out in Titus. It's like he's stuck on it. The, the record keeps skipping. Older men would be tempered, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, and love and perseverance. Women are suppo- older women are to teach younger women, here, this may not be politically correct, oh well, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. Sensible, again. And then one more. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. Sounds like God is interested in us being sensible. Everybody said amen all at once. Don't blow me away like that. What are you asking us to do? (laughs) Be sensible. What does that mean exactly, right? What does it mean? Titus 1.8. Let me look at it in another version, if we could. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good. Look at the, this is the sensible word. One who is self-controlled. 
Wait a minute, I thought that was the last verse, the last word in the verse, right? Oh, you're catching on. Self-controlled, upright, holy, and there it is, disciplined. Boy, I tell you, one thing about the Bible, it's always meddling with your life. Self-controlled and disciplined. Yikes! Okay. What does this mean? Let's look at the New Jerusalem Bible. Hospitable, lover of goodness, sensible again, upright, devout, and... uh, Anybody picking up on something? Yes, there is a, a synonym dimension of these two words, right? They overlap. Sensible, self-controlled, discipline. A good word that I picked up, and I, I love the, the phrase self-governing. Self-governing. So I've got two objectives today. One is I want to teach about a virtue. Is that allowed in church? Boy, I really thought I was in the wrong place this morning. I want to talk about a virtue, but I also want to teach a little bit about studying Scripture, which we don't hear a lot about much, you know. Don't hear about How do I dig into a passage of Scripture and find out what it means? What we're doing today is a bit of a word study, which is one of the ways to learn what the Bible really says. I put up two or three different versions Some people have an aversion to various versions. They think there's only one version. And that's not true, just to be clear. There are some versions that translate the words better than others, and that's why it's healthy sometimes to look at various translations especially. The NIV is a translation. Some of my professors worked on it. The New Jerusalem Bible, I think, is one. The point is... Reading different versions will help us get a spread, an understanding. What is he trying to say here? And if you're fortunate enough to have a little bit of access to the definitions from the Greek, you can do that even in English. There are English tools to help you. You don't have to know Greek, but if you do know some, that's even more fun. Then you get into all kinds of digging. So that's a sidebar on versions. I just thought I would throw that out. Okay. First Peter, or no, Second Peter, do you know the section? And by the way, here's the proof that God is speaking this stuff, not just to elders only. Older men, young men, women, etc. Here's another one to all Christians. I'm not having it on the screen. This is Second Peter. Anybody remember that section where he says, add to your faith this, add to this this, add to this self-control? One of these exact words again put on the table for all Christians to embrace. So one of the things that can help you study scriptures, try rewriting the verse in your own words. So I found a little paraphrase. This is a paraphrase. Paraphrase is not inspired. Nobody get mad at me. It's just for learning, okay? Do you guys have enough coffee today? Are you all right? Okay, I'm just making sure you're here. All right. Let's put that up. Here, here's not an elder... Because he's a sample of what? This. A committed Jesus follower must be compassion toward all sorts of people. Ooh. Supportive of truly righteous endeavors, because there are unrighteous endeavors. Adhering to clear moral values and manifesting a responsible, ordered lifestyle which grows out of the discipline of self-government. By the way, that's the Hawko translation. Next, next. 
Next slide. There you go. I hawk over it. Yes, and I, and I will be signing a book. No, I made that up. So it's okay. It's not inspired. You don't have to defend it. A committed Jesus follower must be compassionate toward all sorts of people. It's the exact opposite of the word for xenophobia. Ever heard of xenophobia? People group fear. It's the opposite. It's the philos, phyllis, right? Philadelphia, love, love of xenos. That's what it is talking about. Truly righteous endeavors. He's righteous, clear moral values, upright, devout. And devout simply means he's committed to the discipline of following his leader, Jesus. He's committed to it. He's devout. He takes it seriously. You know, we, we talk about people, don't we? I mean, we uh, hopefully well. But we talk about, we say, oh, he's the real deal. Or he's living the normal Christian life. Or he's a serious Christian. Oh, oh he's, he's, he's very religious. Because he goes to church every week. He's so crazy. Can you imagine? That kind of thing. It's that kind of a word, devout. We're not going to unpack the whole thing. We can take that down. But here's what Timothy says. An overseer then must be above reproach, husband and one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Temperate and prudent. Again, the word, self-control, having that sanity about himself. Safran. The, the Greek word, if those who are interested, is safran. Prudent. Prudent. And the other word for self-control is enkrateia. Both of those words are talking about moving our life from disorder to order. Just like Genesis. God looked over the whole creation. Oh, this is good, but it's in chaos. And the Spirit of God moved over the surface of the waters and said, let's start setting things in order. And that's my paraphrase. Let there be light. Let there be this. Let there be that. He starts setting things in order. That's exactly what he's trying to do in the life of the normal Christian. Set things in order. To go from chaos to goodness, from lawlessness or rebellion to submission, to inner turmoil, to peace. It's his process. How does he do that? How do we get along in that process? I'm preaching this morning the gospel of spiritual formation. Now, when you hear that word, this was very interesting, and maybe someone else in the room is going to have this reaction as well. You use the word spiritual formation. I don't want anybody to get confused. If you're a note-taker, this is where it is. Normal Christian life is the first fill-in. Gospel of spiritual formation is the second one. Why did I say that? Because the gospel is spiritually formative. If you're really in Christ, you're going to be transformed somewhere whether it's super obvious or very subtle, something has to be happening because new life has invaded you. The life of the Son of God in the person of the Spirit is giving you new birth and a new life and internal motivation. It's the difference between being born again and just a church member. Do you hear what I just said? It's the difference between being born again and just a church member. We have plenty of church members being born again that means life has been deposited from God within me. I'm going to come to a verse in just a minute, but before I do, um, let me just mention this whole issue of spiritual formation. Several years back, a lady was here. She never came back because I'm sure she thinks I'm liberal and off the wall because I used the phrase spiritual formation and they had rubbed shoulders with some group that was using 
Catholic directors or things like that and are assuming there was some kind of apostasy going on. By the way, there have been a lot of people following Jesus over the last 2,000 years, and some of them didn't go to your church. And a few of them know a few things about God, and we can learn from them. Okay? Always process everything through the grid of the Word of God. Always. So, do they make some mistakes? Yes, some of them do. Do we make some mistakes? Let me fill you in. Oh, I don't. Yeah, well, come talk to me. I'll help you see. I've made some mistakes. I mean, at least two in my life. I'm sure of it. That was a joke for those of you who don't get me. And by the way, if you don't have a sense of humor, this is not going to work for you. This... I'm going to try to retire in three years, then you can come back, try it again. Okay. Three, I know, I know. It'll be more than that, because once I start Hebrews, it'll be five years to preach through the book. I get, I get it, I get it. The gospel of spiritual formation is not about weird mysticism or anything else. Oh, by the way, I just hate to fill you in, though. God is a supernatural being. And so sometimes mystical type things happen. It's all throughout your Bible. Always process it through the grid of the scripture. But here's what it is. Simple definition by an evangelical brother, Mel Lawrence, writing in a series. His, his book was Spiritual Formation. It's the progressive patterning of a person's inner and outer life according to the image of Christ through the intentional means of spiritual growth. Oh, you like that word. Somebody said it. I heard it. It doesn't... I just. How do I feel today? I don't feel like getting up today. I don't feel like going to church today. Neither did I. I don't feel like paying my taxes this year. I don't feel like going to work. I don't feel... How come we pick and choose what we feel like and what we'll do? Maybe there's a lack of self-government. So that's what it is. It's an intentional process of moving myself forward. Some of your small groups, right? Most of them, you're going to go through. uh, Thank you for saying it so I didn't say Dr. Phil again. But anyway, emotionally healthy spirituality. There's a discipline involved, especially when you get to the end of the book. He's talking about here's some ways. You don't have to do his ways, but here's some ways to help you. Practice self-government and work your way forward in the process. The intentional means of spiritual growth. I want to just say, uh, the last word on that first sentence we looked at, verse 8, is this Greek word, enkrateia. You don't need to know that. But the root of the word it has to do with the controlled fruit of the Spirit at the end of the list by the Holy Spirit, the deeds of the flesh are this. Remember that section in Galatians 5? The deeds of the flesh are this. What's the matter? What's right? Oh, there it is. Well, how easy can it get? You see that verse up there on the banner? Thank you, Bennett's. Uh, <laughs> Right there, that very last... See, in italics even, because that banner maker knew I was going to preach on this this morning. That was sovereignty. Anyway, self-control, that's the word. It's a virtue. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's something I want in my life. Is that for just preachers and elders? 
It's for all Christians, right? Self-control. Here's my concern. We have a cultural problem in America. Uh, I don't think it's limited to America. We have a major problem today, and that is we're living in a culture without much of that. In fact, we're in a culture of immediate gratification. No, in fact, we have trained our children for two generations at least that no desire or impulse should be denied. I had a fun situation. This does revolve around a McDonald's, by the way. Sorry, bro. Um, I'm up north with my, in my kids' neighborhood there in, in Binghamton, and there's a, there's a McDonald's drive through I'm, I'm indulging in a very great repast, pulling through to pick up some drive through and I'm, I'm stuck behind a guy in a truck, and both of us get pulled over to the wait line. You know what that means, the wait line. And the wait line was really a wait line, as in wait and wait. It's not your You aren't the manager. You're off. Anyway, you're retired. This is not your problem. Uh, it was just one of those mornings they were having. And by the way, this, this, this local is a great one. The people are friendly, wonderful, but we're waiting. And the guy in front of me, oh boy, he what, I could just, you could smell smoke. You know what I mean? You could just smell, this is not going to go well. And finally, I get mine, he gets his, and another guy was made to wait, was in front of him, and didn't let him out fast enough. I mean, it was like, you could see it coming to a head, right? Pop, because I've been waiting so long, he's really mad at somebody else, but then this guy gets in the way, and the next thing you know, there's this glorious road rage experience, and I'm watching this. I'm right behind it, wondering if I'm going to have to get out of my car and do some of what I practice occasionally, take him down. But it's... He is going at this guy and using all kinds of interesting sign language. And, they're at, and the guy who got in the way and was really a nice guy, just didn't met, step on the gas pedal fast enough. It's like he made a classic Christian blunder. You know, Jesus loves you and you can get free. I don't, it's like, boom, then it's coming out twice as bad, you know. Tuck that away for your learning. I thought, I thought there was going to be fisticuffs and blood right on the street. I really did. It was so exciting. <clears throat> that gentleman in the truck needs a major overhaul in self-government. Self-control, patience, but it's kind of what we're living with today. Whether it's on social media... Let me just exhort the cowardice of spewing out everything on your mind. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says Christians, if they have any sense, should know that most of what they're thinking should not come out of their mouth. And then it shouldn't come out here either. But it's the same thing. Your opinion is not all that important. And by heaven, if you're claiming Jesus, make sure your opinion is right. Because there are often other sides to that. The exposure to drugs in our culture. Why should I resist? The little bit of pain that I feel, my emotional distress, I should be able to escape that. Why? Who said? What about the discipline of self-control? 
And really, there is a spillover on this. I'm going to have to close it out with this. Uh, It relates to sexuality as well. The word self-control has that kind of implication. Think about our culture. The last draw for me was, for you parents, if you've seen the ad where people say, we should have done this to be safe, but we you know, just got carried away. Very repulsive advertisement, and I was absolutely furious when I saw it. I thought, because what you're telling us is, I can't control myself. I'm a barnyard animal. That's all I am. Man's dignity is being trashed. You don't have a brain, you don't have self-control, you don't have any power over your own body. You just have to go with whatever happens. What a lie from the pit of hell and how destructive and all the fallout and brokenness. But on top of that, now we blew it and we weren't careful, so everybody else has to help us out because, no, I'm sorry. Big mistake. If you don't know what I'm talking about, actually, I'm glad you didn't see it. But it was infuriating. We get trapped into all of these experiences because we have never learned and we don't pass on and train people self-control. How come in sports we can do it? Feel the burn. I used to do bike trips with Youth for Christ. You know, We're going up mountains. Anybody like going up mountains on a bicycle? And here we are and we're all going... And, and, and these youth guys, you know, these youth leader types come up along... Come up alongside me and go, feel the burn. Feel the burn. You know, I just want to knock them off and over the, push them over the railing, you know. Yeah, but I had self-control. I didn't do it. Put a snake in his sleeping bag, though. But. How come, you know, we can cheer each other on for that. But control yourself in these sins. It's like, where's virtue? Where's the discussion? of You getting my drift? The Bible is full of this kind of exhortation. Let me show you this verse, a great verse. Paul, what did Paul do all over the Roman Empire? Preach the gospel, right? Look at how he's preaching the gospel to Felix. And as he was discussing, get this, righteousness, self-control, same word. And the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, go away for the present time. When I find time, I'll I'll summon you. Could you get out of here for now? I don't like this. You're convicting me. I'm nervous. As he was discussing, look at the gospel here. He's preaching the gospel. Righteousness found in Christ. Self-control, the result of Christ being in your life. And judgment, as if we're not going to answer for all of this lack of self-control. Judgment. That was the gospel. That's why I'm saying the gospel is a gospel of spiritual formation. If you haven't had a crisis in a year with God about some area of your life, you're probably dead. Spiritually dead. It's time for life. There's an answer. God gives us the tools and he gives us some coaching. And you're just going to have to come back next week to hear it. The way out. You can cheat by looking, at the, looking up the verses that are in Romans. Because those are the verses that Watchman Nee used to build his book, The Normal Christian Life, of how we start to move from this to that.
And that is much better than this. Trust me, much better to be liberated by the Spirit from bondage. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. Thank you for your kind attention. And if something uh, dinged your helmet this morning, let me encourage you not to just put it off and say, I'll deal with that next week, because you never will. And you'll stay stuck. And I don't want you to do that. So seek out some of the staff, elders, whoever, to talk and pray and press through to the normal Christian life. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you for helping the gathering of your people today. I'm asking your angels to be around us. I'm asking you to help us experience and enjoy fully the normal Christian life. And Father, for those who have been leaning in and drinking it down, let them feel blessing this week as they serve you and honor you, maybe even have chances to speak for you. In the great name of Jesus, we pray and all of God's people said, Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a good day. Get your kids.